0: Hello there, I am Dylan Ritchie. I am part of the LTSB alumni group. Today I have on board Mike Stevenson, who is here to talk about leadership, perseverance, resilience, diversity, purpose, legacy, legacy, sorry, and much more. Mike, please take us through your exciting journey. Well, I, I suppose I should start with with now because what what I do
1: now is is I write and I and I speak, and my purpose really is to give you know people a sense that what they have is usually far greater than what they know they have. So there's always this deficit to fill, and particularly people who have had a difficult start in life, who probably need to hear someone saying, listen, I've been there and what you're going through is just a, a precursor to to being even better uh, than other people because you've been through a bit of difficulty and use that to your advantage. So that's what I do now. Um, and I it started for me because I, I spent three years in Pakistan as a child. My parents got a, a job over there. And so I was very... Early on, introduced to diversity, you know this idea that we don't all look the same. My mother was also Lebanese, so you know that was a a, a very real awakening at a very young age. We came back here, um, spent time at Edinburgh. I went to Kirkcaldy, and hey, my sir. mother being Lebanese, yeah, I know Kirkcaldy. Yeah, yeah, great spell of linoleum, uh, that linseed oil. I loved it, um, but. My schooling was a complete disaster and I can't pinpoint why. I might have had EDSD, I don't know, but I could not sit in a classroom listening to someone talking to me for hours on end. Yeah. And the teachers all seemed to hate me, both in primary school and then in secondary
0: school. Yeah, I can just remember for myself when I had autistic spectrum disorder, I just yeah. found it a bit hard to cope in the classes day to day, just find yeah. things a challenge but finally I got through there I never had the best qualifications with a life skill and today I'm fortunate enough to be on the leadership through sport and business program working as a data analyst at NatWest Group. What also uh, really inspires me from you is that my grandmother worked in Saudi Arabia for about 20 years between there and Bahrain so I had a lot of regular visits out to see her and everything was just amazing people I loved every, loved every minute of it Oh wow! Well, I mean, you're just
1: um, resonating with the points I've made, which is great. Yeah. Um, because you know, I, I got chucked out of school at fifteen. I was expelled for not for being anything other than academically very poor. So I I got a job in Kirkcaldy High Street in a tailor's shop. That's when Kirkcaldy High Street was full of shops. It was yeah, a hybrid, I know, a Yeah, and I. I got the sack from my first job, but not for anything I'd done because I, I wouldn't let the manager um, invite the girls that used to come and see me at the front door to the upstairs for his very, um, you know, um, illicit purposes. So I got the sack, and then I, my parents were, were going through a horrible breakup, and the the whole you know, family was just dysfunctioning at an awful rate. And also I was being chased by guys that wanted to beat me up all the time. So I escaped down to London and managed to get a job there. And I'd been with the, this company for a few weeks when they sacked me because no one, no one could understand my Fife accent at the time. So there I was without a job. And when I went back to my b b um, I said, look, I've lost my job. What do I do? She says, well, you get out because you've now got no money to pay for your rent. So I ended up sleeping out. I slept out in London for a year. And, you know, that, that was a, it was some experience. Um, not least of all, because it was uncomfortable. But it was also the best education I could have had. So, So when I meet people who are homeless now, I don't ask them questions like, you know, uh, what's life like? I say, what are your dreams? Because you, even if you're homeless, you shouldn't be defined by that. That is a phase in your life. I, I got out of it because it always requires, you know, someone and a bit of fortune. And it was a guy who used to come and talk to me in Piccadilly Circus. And he asked me, you know, what, what I was, what I was good at. And I said, well, I play the guitar. And the next day he brought me a guitar and I used to, to play it sitting in the streets and people used to throw me money. And then someone said, why don't you go to Dublin? Because, you know, there's far less buskers over there. Why don't you go over there? And I did. And I did really well busking over there. I got f- to become friends with Thin Lizzy who were just starting out at the time. And, uh, you know, I had a great time and suddenly, you know, this realisation that actually, you know, far from being this utter failure I was someone that had something to offer I could entertain you know people I used to get large audiences and then I went back to London with a determination you know to do better than I had the first time and I just said job after job after job I don't know I had 29 jobs before I was 26 so I don't know if that's even possible now I doubt it But, you know, it was building sites, it was packing suits, it was bottling wine, it was working in a hospital. Um, Just a whole range of things that, you know, taught me lots of skills. Lots of skills. I learnt, you know, how to, you know, uh, build things with wood, I learnt how to plaster walls, I learnt how to lay bricks. Um, I learned how to pack things. I mean, just an extraordinary thing, but, you know, how many men know how to pack a parcel and wrap it up nicely? Um, And then I got into education, uh, and, you know, I passed those pesky hires, which I'd never even reached at school, and went on from there. And I got a job as a community worker, um, did some amazing things in Leith, not least of all, Leith in Edinburgh, by the way, not least of all, helping to set up a housing association because I'd been homeless. And here was a chance, you know, to help people who either were homeless or were living in homes owned by private landlords who were bullying them. There was no hot water, no shower. uh, Some had no inside toilet. So we set up a housing association, did an amazing job, you know, doing all these things up. I went to Glasgow then. And was one of the founder members of HeatWise, which became the Wise Group, which is all about giving young people a chance. Well, actually, not just young people. People who have been out of work long term, which is six months or over, and giving them a job to do and giving them training. And I excelled at the, the kind of training side of it. I really did, because people you know would come for interviews and they would say things like, I'm not, I'm not good at anything. And then you'd have to explore and find out, actually, there were extraordinary people. They just didn't know it yet. So after 10 years in Glasgow, came back to Edinburgh, set up a design agency with a, a partner. It did really well for 19 years. The recession came along and, you know, it all went belly up. And I take some responsibility for that. You can't yeah. always blame external circumstances. And I set up Fantastic, which is me now, which is about, you know, trying to lift, trying to inspire, trying to get people to think creatively, and you know, using a bit of fun as well to, to move things along because life should not be miserable.
0: Yeah. What is fantastic about what you're doing is you're trying to get young people into jobs that, because especially with the COVID-19 pandemic, there are just absolutely so many people seeking employment. And what also is inspiring is people who are homelessness as well. They, all, they have loads of skills, loads of talents, loads yep. of diversity in there as well that could all be very useful to this workforce, which Absolutely. is one of the main reasons why I'm in that West group. I think it's a very inspiring method. There's loads of people that have been in the similar boat as myself growing up with autism and just finding skill challenging on a day-to-day basis.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: And I've got an, another question for you. So sure. pinpointing your journey through homelessness, what would your advice be to people going through homelessness at the moment? Well, the, the, the first thing is you are homeless. You're not a homeless person.
1: Does that make sense? Yeah. In other words, you know, might be ill. You might have the flu. It shouldn't define you. You are a human being and you have got talents. You've probably got ambitions. You don't bury those ambitions. You keep them because this is a phase in your life. So start thinking about what's to come. I've always had this philosophy, and it started when I was homeless, and I remember um, managing to get a toilet one night to sleep in, and they were prized accommodation. You you might have seen a, you know, um, a welcome home thing on the wall, It's or home sweet home, because That was the prize. And I tried for day after day after day day to get to this toilet. And one day a cubicle came up and I slept there. And I remember thinking, you know, am I either going to go up there or down? And I couldn't see how much further down I could go Uh, because I got into drugs. You know, those things are almost inevitable. You know, when you find yourself, you know, so far removed from the body of society, You're alienated and, you know, what you don't want to do is to further alienate yourself and you find ways of doing things just to keep you going. But it's a stage in your life. It is not the end of your life or it shouldn't be. Sadly, too many people it is, but that's a phase. And there is a a life beyond that. That's the most important thing to say. The other thing to say is, you know, use that time to start considering the fact that being homeless has given you strengths that other people don't have. You're building up a resilience, you know, to survive. You know how to keep yourself going from day to day. Um, And you've also probably built relationships with people. So think about those things that are enriching you rather than the things you don't have. And, you know, there is help available now. I don't think it's enough. I think too much, it's all about believing that people think, who are helping you, that all you need is accommodation. Actually, it's not. What you need is first of all, to feel valued, to feel significant, to feel that you've got a backstory, a name even. Can I tell you a very quick story um, about something that happened when I was homeless? And this kind of absolutely nails it for me. It was Piccadilly Circus, it was really, really cold one December night, and this van drew up and I was asked to get to the van by this woman who said she was from a charity. And they were there to help me find accommodation. So I was taken to somewhere summer in Peckham, an overnight hostel. And I was you know, shown into this room, it was a tiled room. And I remember the first words that were spoken to me were, take your clothes off, which I did. And then a hose was pointed at me and unleashed. And you know, I felt, that small and I, you know it just it suddenly struck me that you know you treat people as a human being and that's when I learned you know I didn't want accommodation I wanted other things first I wanted to be loved to to feel that I had a backstory that I might have had ambitions and we don't do that so there's a lot services have to learn about homelessness and about the people you know one of the things that's happened with outreach workers is they find accommodation and sometimes the person who they describe as homeless but they just don't have a roof over their head at the moment they go back into the streets and they cannot understand why I'll tell them why you've removed them from the people they know you haven't dealt with the underlying issue which is I don't fit in, I've got, you know, i had a familial breakdown, I've lost my money, or all those things that cause people to be homeless. If you don't look at them and treat them as human beings, you know, it's not just accommodation. It's, it's why have they got there? And we need to do so much more at lifting people from where they are, giving them back their strengths, you know, um, allowing them to develop their talents, allowing them to understand that they are far more than people give them credit for. And most importantly, than they give themselves credit for, because too often people believe that they don't have a worth and they don't have talents and they don't have something to live for and they don't have strengths. And the experience they've had is going to put a no in the tick box for any application form in the future. It shouldn't.
0: Yeah, hundred percent agree. We do need to address homelessness way more in this country than we currently are. There's far too much potential for workforce as well. Yeah, people with like a great, inspiring story are going to get people thinking we should hire them. So the next thing I would like you to, to ask so as we know that you work for Fantastic, and I've seen your speeches in the past they're very fantastic they're great very mind-blowing so oh. what has been your favorite piece of inspiration that you have provided to your audience?
1: I think um, it always comes with the response you get so there's, there's two do you mind ever give two yeah. uh, the first one that's was I uh, was speaking at Edinburgh to people that were you know, going through a really difficult time, young age. And I I got a yellow sticky that was sent to the front of the audience, and it was from a 15-year-old girl who said, this man has just changed my life. And I think the reason was, I remember saying, you know, you're probably going through a really difficult time. People have told you all the things that you can't do. No one's told you what you can do. And people tell you these are the best days of your life. Well, let me tell you, they're not. And I think then I started to tell my story and I realized at that point that I'd really struck home with this girl um, to, to prompt her to write that note. It was extraordinary because unless you you land in people's life stories, then you're not gonna penetrate anyone's you know, thinking. But the other one was was just before lockdown, and this is, is, is quite a story because when I was you know out of it in London, I I got involved in a kind of minor way in criminality. I I you know occasionally stole things, and and uh, I was once taken to West End Central Police Station um, for stealing a crate of fish outside a fish shop because it had just been delivered by a Grimsby lorry. What I was going to do was it, I had no real fixed idea, but um, I was taken and I was put in the cells overnight. And in the morning, the desk sergeant said to me, okay, and he says, uh, Michael, before you go, what are your dreams? And I said something like, um, I want to get a place to stay and get a job. And he says, no, no, no. These are your next steps. I want you to tell me what your dreams are. And I said something about, I want to be a successful musician and I want to one day set up my own business. And that was it. So I was speaking at this police conference um, at the English uh, Sports Training Centre at St George's last March the 13th, I think it was. And so there were police chiefs, you know, from all over England and Wales. And there were people who were trying to think creatively about how policing could change and how they could avert crime rather than you know simply arrest people and I told that story and suddenly it really clicked it really clicked because I talked about you know how those words that you speak those interactions can make a huge difference to someone's life and that you know focusing on the 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 problem rather than what the opportunity is, you can actually, you know, drive someone back into a life of crime or whatever reason that you've got them in front of you. And a few people said to me afterwards, I'm gonna change the way I talk to people I meet in the cells, people I meet out in the streets, and it's extraordinary. So I realized then I'd struck a nerve and it was such a simple thing because what we tend to do as humans is make judgments about people. We make very quick judgments. You know the story of Howard Hughes, he was bedraggled, long hair, you know, wandering along with a rope tied around his coat. And this guy stopped and said, can I give you a lift anywhere? And he gave him a lift to this hotel because Howard Hughes was a very, very wealthy man who lived in this hotel room for years. He wanted nothing to do with society. Anyway, when he died, Howard Hughes, he'd left this note saying he wanted to trace this driver that had stopped for him and given him a lift. So we judge people at our peril because this is, you know, something that often affects people, not just in one moment in time, but for their life. You know, the things that we say, um, can can embed themselves in people's minds and they can stay there, you know, like a like horrible cancer. Uh, because you know we must choose our words carefully. We must choose our words carefully. And I wasn't a criminal. I committed an act, um, but I wasn't a criminal. And they could so easily have, you know, labelled me a criminal. So easily have you know encouraged me to go into a life of crime because the police have the opportunity to take people out of it rather than just you know arresting them they've got a job chop- opportunity to elevate people beyond the position they found themselves in. so that really resonated with the police it was just extraordinary and I got a note you know from someone saying we've instructed the, the all our force to use those words when they're talking to people who are in this position. So there
0: you are. Words can have huge impacts, and that's just one example. Yeah. Um, so this has been fantastic. I've really enjoyed the call with you so far. So um, what has been your favourite moment in your fantastic, very exciting career so far?
1: Yeah, I think I I think I know exactly what it is. Um, when I had the, the, the agency, um, I had this idea for bringing together the worst performing school in edinburgh but I won't mention its name and this you know top girls school a private school and I brought the two head teachers together and I said look I want to do this and I want to you know demonstrate that wherever you come from there is a relationship to be had with people on the other side of the tracks and they can learn from each other and also I want to encourage you know people who are in the private school to recognize that not everyone's as fortunate as they are and also those who are in the the less fortunate position to understand that they are they've got something huge to offer so I, I had this event called two heads are better than one and we made it you know aerialist dancers, uh, the, the youngsters from both schools performed, one was a jazz band. We had a fantastic night. And seeing those youngsters together, um, coming up with solutions together, was, you know, for me, a really vital moment because I, I, I realised that what we do is we make assumptions about young people and the categories they find themselves in, and they just got on. There was no difference. You could see that the girls from the private school were taller, more confident looking. They had a different kind of gait, a different kind of posture. And the kids from the other school were smaller, um, far less confident, but put them together and they were learning off each other. And they then wrote a letter, uh, both of them, and a columnist in the Evening News gave up his column to allow this expression of ideas from youngsters from both schools. It was extraordinary. That was my proudest and most joyous moment. I remember going home and I couldn't sleep for the excitement of what this could lead to. And
0: one thing it's led to, they still do classes together. Still do it I to this day. Yeah, so thank you very much for having an interview with us. Just one final question I have. Yeah. So can you please tell us what does leadership mean to you? Uh, I'm so glad you've asked me this because the, the
1: I had so many bad leaders in the workplace. I mean, you, you, you know, and, and going back to the 60s and the, the 70s, where, you know, I went into the steelworks once and I asked what we were actually making and the foreman said you don't have to know that you know that kind of absolute nonsense so the 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 thing about leadership for me is you're not looking for followers you're looking for other leaders so you want to you know the only thing that you should be concerned about is getting people to be the best version of themselves in other words you're creating other leaders and you're also employing people who are better at doing things than you are yeah. you know why employ people why lead people if you're the only one that can make the decisions it's an absolute nonsense so we need people to be allowed and encouraged to make decisions at every level Bring a new idea so that they- that place. yeah of course yeah so that's what leadership is it's not about you know uh leading people um down a path of your construct it's about giving them a vision and then allowing them to take responsibility be creative and to make their own decisions along the way that's it
0: perfect um i'd like to thank all the viewers for taking the time to listen to this podcast i've had a great time interviewing mike stevenson and i wish you all the best